Our childhood is supposed to be an exciting time, a time filled with joy and laughter, a time filled with friendships, great memories, learning how to become an adult. But for a lot of us, that's not the case. For people who go through childhood trauma, the memories they remember can be hard ones and ones they really want to forget. On today's show, I welcome back Dr. David Pfaff, and we talk about childhood trauma. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Relatively Normal. I am your host, Mark Paisant. And as always, great to have you. Great to have you be a part of the show. First time listening, welcome. Anybody who's been with me from the beginning or listened to a few episodes, I really appreciate you. And as always, you can go to anchor.fm, search for Relatively Normal, hit that money button and become a subscriber for as little as 99 cents a month. So I have a really special show this week and I have a returning guest and um, and we're going to talk about a topic that I have been trying to talk about for a long time. I've been trying to make sure I do it the right way, make sure I am respectful, make sure I don't use any hypocrisy, make sure I speak in a fashion that people can understand that I'm trying to learn about this also. Um, And we're going to talk about childhood trauma. We're probably going to talk about a little bit uh, different types of trauma also. But I brought my my mentor, my friend, uh, Dr. David Pfaff, on the show with me again. And we're going to dive right in. And I hope, and, and I'll be honest with you, we may get into some dark subjects this week. We might get into some stuff that might trigger some things for some of the listeners. We might talk about some things that, let's be honest, that no one wants to hear, no one wants to talk about. But again, why I do this show is so someone who needs to hear this, someone who needs to understand that there's people out there that understand, that want to validate your feelings, that I there are people that are that are available for you. So, David, Dr. Faf, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you for for being back. I really appreciate it. Oh, Mark, man, it's it's uh, it, it really is my honor and my pleasure um, to do this. And great introduction, by the way, man. This is a heavy heavy subject, man. So great great lead in. I've always wondered, you know, how how do you how do you lead into something like this? And I do it myself, but uh, great job. I appreciate that. And it is, it is a tough subject. And the reason I want to talk about it is because childhood trauma, well, uh, we, we don't even have to say childhood trauma, but the things that we go through in our childhood, the things, the emotions we, we have, the feelings we have, the parents we have, the community, the neighborhood, the friends we have, all of that stuff affects us as adults. It affects our relationships. It affects our job performance. It, it, it affects how we live our life, um, you know, from 
and I don't know if you want to say 16 years old, 18, whatever your thoughts of young adult and adulthood. But as a as a therapist, someone in the mental health field, how much of your work, you know, I don't want to give me a percentage, but how much your work, you know, specifically deals with that trauma that adults are dealing with from their childhood? Mark, it's, uh, it's a lot. It, it really is. It's, I, I say too much from the standpoint of that, that too much stuff is happening and that too much stuff is slipping through the cracks. Um, especially by the time folks are adults and they, they come see me in my office, you know, um, I, this isn't an exact figure, but I tell people if I had to guess just based on my own compartmentalized experience, the folks that have come to my office and that I see for counseling as adults, 80, 85% have probably have experienced some sort of trauma in their childhood and have been living with that since childhood. So it's, it's a, it's a lot. It's most, most folks. In fact, childhood trauma, the research does support it's it's an epidemic that's that's facing the united states the world over you know it if we want to see the impact and just the vast expanse of of trauma in our world just jump on any news source online just look at what's going on around the world and we're, we're being exposed to it every day children are getting exposed to it every day so so mark i guess the, my my long-winded answer is most most folks and because they, they, they come in and it, it's it, they're, they're not necessarily coming in and even realizing it's trauma I'm so sorry to interrupt you there man. no you're they're fine just, you're fine that and mm-hmm. I wanted to get to that point like yeah I would think that most people come to you and you know especially the people who've never been to, to counseling or therapy before they are kind of thinking hey you know what have I done what did I do wrong and I guess there has to be kind of that paradigm shift where, hey, listen, these seeds have been planted a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, no, Mark. They, they, folks a lot of times will come in and depression, anxiety, problematic substance use, breakups, difficulties with relationships, difficulties making friendships, all the fallout from trauma, all the things that we see can be consequential to trauma. But then it's not always so easy to put those pieces together. We're real good about pointing out, I say real good, we're better at pointing out depression, anxiety, and these these surface level things, but then relating it back to the core issue of trauma, especially because Mark, we live in a culture too, where, oh, you're a kid, you don't have real problems. Your, your, Your childhood is supposed to be dogs and rainbows and sunshine and happiness and you're a kid, you're resilient, you should be able to get through it. And we internalize that message a lot too. Folks can struggle with putting the pieces together and saying, well, the reason why maybe I'm struggling with problematic substance use or smoking, diabetes, suicidal thoughts, depression, rheumatoid arthritis, maybe it goes back to some of the things I've experienced. Like you said, maybe I'm not even the problem. It's happened to me. And you bring up, and I want to get down to this specific point, because I know there are some parents listening, 
and I know there's some some people who may not understand the trauma they've gone through, but where do we draw the line at just strict parenting, you know, tough parenting? Where do we draw the line at where that goes into some type of traumatic event? I think it's I think it's obvious if you have the the mother or the father that physically beats a child. Like we can we can yeah. see that, we can understand that. But, you know, if I'm a parent, say, hey, listen, I know I'm tough on my kid. I'm trying to prepare them for the world. Like, where do we where does that line get crossed? Oh, and and to where it could be potentially correct leading to trauma or it's. um, Great question. And it's it's. Multi part. Uh, I'll go off on a tangent here, Mark. So, man, if I go ahead, go ahead. This is what I want. Go ahead. Yeah, so so trauma is a very individualized thing because just because someone is subjected or or introduced to a traumatic event doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be traumatized or or have a a trauma response or traumatic stress response. I I give an example uh, to clients in sessions of two folks go overseas to war two buddies and and one loses their leg and the other person watches them lose their leg. They come back and the person that loses their leg, don't get me wrong. It's difficult. It's, but, but they get help. They, they receive help and they don't end up having a PTSD diagnosis, but the person that saw it does. So there are those individual variables that, that come into whether or not we end up feeling traumatized or, or developing PTSD. Things like our worldviews, our resilience, our coping mechanisms, our trade anxiety, all, all the you know, genetics and, and parenting. And, and as much as parents like to think they do, they don't raise, they never raise two kids the same. And that's one of the struggles I see parents have is said, well, I was hard on, on Jane and I'm just as hard on Jimmy, but Jimmy's not taking it. You know, Jane was able to take it. Why isn't Jimmy? What's wrong with Jimmy? Well, they're, they're two different people and parents, they, they don't treat two people exactly the same. So I think we, we factor in, okay, what's, what, what is my, what is this kiddo's resilience? What is this kiddo's worldviews? What is this kiddo, how, how are they able to express and handle their emotions? And when, when you talk about parenting styles, there's really not any research out there that says parenting styles in and of themselves cause childhood trauma, but they certainly can impact if trauma has happened. And, but now parenting styles can still negatively impact a child. For instance, authority, it sounds like you were describing, you know, being hard on a kid, uh, authoritarian type parenting, that rigid parenting. Is that kind of what you were talking about? Yeah, or? exactly. Yes. So you know, the research is pretty clear on that. It, we don't find, and I, I didn't. I don't know of any research that talks about that being traumatizing. However, the research is pretty clear that that can correlate to higher incidences of things like depression in kiddos, acting out, behavioral problems, problematic substance use. So I think it's watching our kiddos' behavior and being sensitive to it. I think all too often, and I saw it in my when I when I started off as a therapist, I was working with kids. And I think I had a caseload of 10 kids at the time and all of them had an ADHD diagnosis. 
all of them were on medication. All the parents said, the medication's not working, fix my kid. All of them came from backgrounds though, where there was divorce, there were, there were these adverse experiences and they were reacting to their environment. And so I think moral of that story is, is I'm not arguing whether or not ADHD exists. What I'm saying is, is all too often, I think we look at the kiddo and the kiddo is unhappy or they're angry or they're acting out and we're saying, oh, that's a problem with the kid. And so I need to parent harder or I need to parent less. We're not looking at, you know, and we're thinking we need to like punish the child in some way, shape or form. We're not looking at, no, what's in the environment? What's, so I, I think when, when enough's enough is, are we watching the kiddo's behavior? Because oftentimes children's behavior and stuff that we might say is bad or, or disordered or wrong is a lot of times they're just reacting to their environment. Can't tell you how many, how many adolescent males or, or even uh, childhood males that I worked with that were angry and acting out, but underneath it, they were depressed. They were unhappy with their environment. And so I say being attuned with our kiddos and being attuned with their behavior and being willing to ask ourselves the question, is there something going on in the environment? Is there something in our, in my relationship with my kiddo? You know, not not to say that I'm a bad parent or I'm trying to do anything intentional, but being willing to ask is is it possible that it's the situation and not the kid that's jacked up? In in letting and again, just paying attention to those emotions and asking those questions. I don't know if that answers your question there. It it does, and it um, you know what I heard a lot is that you know parents um have to kind of kind of I, I don't know if I want to call it a growth mindset but kind of have the mindset that yeah. we're we're all learning on the fly and we're all no one you know no one that I know wants their child to grow up to be a um a person that has to deal with trauma their entire life but it happens but it happens and it kind of gets to the point where you know, when you're in these situations where, like what you just talked about when you're dealing with kids, like it seems like in those situations, and correct me if I'm wrong, in those situations, it's it's not a lot about providing therapy for the kid because that, that is necessary. That In those situations, that is necessary. But a lot of times it's providing therapy for the parents themselves. So, so they can work on themselves and work on their relationship with their children. Am, am I, am I right with that? Uh, pardon me, French. It was fucking beautiful the way you said it. <laughs> no, that was poetic. No, man. That's in that is sometimes the struggle on my side as the counselor is getting the family involved. If that's, that's the best the best way to do therapy with kiddos is to get the family and get the parents involved. In fact, the one of the leading, if not the leading, psychotherapy approach to kiddos with trauma, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, TFCBT is the acronym, is working with the kiddo, but also working with the parent because the way that, so the parenting style, like I said, there's I'm not aware of research stating the parenting style leads or correlates with trauma, but it certainly correlates with exacerbating the trauma or helping the trauma get better. In fact, the number one therapeutic 
thing or the most supportive element, I should say, number one most supportive element for kiddos who have been through trauma and who are getting better is social supports, family supports. If someone's been through trauma, kiddo, adult, their social supports are going to be the thing that, that is going to get them through it. Same with like substance use, the same with depression, anxiety. So yeah, man, if we can get the parents buy-in and, and if, if the parents are dedicated to the process and how they respond to the kiddo's trauma response and how they react to the kiddo's behavior, you know, kiddo's acting out and angry. Well, it's, how do I respond to that? Do I see that within the context of, well, no, my kid's not trying to be a jerk. My kid's been through trauma. Their, their amygdala is lighting up like a Christmas tree. They're responding to their, they're, they're in, they're in the freeze fight or flight brain, the emotional brain. And so, yeah. So like TFCBT and these other ones, it's a lot of psychoeducation, helping parents understand the context of the behavior and how to react to it. Because if someone's got like an authoritarian parenting style and the kiddo's struggling, especially been through trauma and it's like, well, I just need to parent harder. I need to punish harder. I need to ground. I need to, well, all that's doing is, is keeping the kiddo in that emotional brain. All that's doing is invalidating what the kiddo has been through because the parents need to understand trauma, adverse experiences, it rewires the brain. In fact, we call it a disorder, PTSD. I love this idea. It's not actually so much a disorder. It's your brain try it's in survival mode it's actually your brain's adapting to the environment that's why it's acting out and being so reactive it's just trying to survive and so if we can get parents on board and understand that then we can, we can better treat the kiddo you want to treat a kiddo therapeutically you got to treat the environment in my opinion and that's just not me that's people much smarter than me come out but it's true yeah i think that that is well said and i think that's a <sighs> I don't, that is a total shift in thinking for a lot of people. Um, you know, it, you know, when, when you get to these parenting households and, and I, and I, I should say this out loud, like at no point am I going to ever judge a parent or tell a parent how to parent their child. I'm not going to do that. However, if you tell a parent that, Hey, listen, you know, the environment your child is in, is as important, if not more important, than just your parenting style, than just what you tell them. Because you're growing a brain, like you're growing feelings, you're growing a human. And that, I mean, that in itself is amazing in itself. The fact that children, like I have two young ones, and, and to see them day by day retain information, you know, learn to read, learn bigger words, learn numbers, have these social interactions with other young kids that you see them holding complete conversations about their day at school, about the friends they have, about the sports they're playing, about the games they're playing. It's like you're molding these minds mm -hmm. and their environment means just as much. Like they're, they're, they're surrounded by their environment and the words and your actions, you know, they, those aren't the only things that are, that are teaching these young kids. And so I appreciate you you going that and and once we once we get back from the break we're going to get into a little bit more of what this means to the adult that's gone through this trauma. So thanks for uh, listening to the show. We'll be right back right after the break. 
And we are back on the Relatively Normal Podcast. And again, we're talking with my good friend, Dr. David Pfaff, about childhood trauma. We talked a lot in the first section about the childhood years, about the parenting style. But I kind of want to pivot into what it looks like as an adult. Um, So, David, you're in sessions. This is something that a lot of your patients have to deal with. And... I guess a, 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 a list that is not exhaustive at all, but, you know, we can talk about issues like relationship building, stress, depression, anxiety, alcoholism, drug abuse. You know, when we talk about childhood trauma, and I, and I, I, I really want to focus on, you know, those cases where it's, it might not be obvious to the, to the person. It might not be obvious to the adult, the 25-year-old, the 30-year-old, 40, 50, 60-year-old, that they've held this trauma for so long. What are some of the, the symptoms? What are some of the things that you see from people who've gone through childhood trauma and kind of how they have tried to navigate their life unsuccessfully? What are the things that you try to work on or you see in your practice? Yeah. So... It has a very biopsychosocial effect, you know, biological effect. And you were talking about things you can't see. Talk about something we can't see, the biological effects that it has on the brain, the psychological effects, the way we think and feel, and then, of course, the social effects. So biologically, and unless I'm sticking people in an MRI machine, which I I don't have, (laughs) I don't have that luxury, it'd be cool, but we know and by the way, for those listening, there, there's, there's a great book on this called The Body Keeps the Score. Fantastic book. Highly recommend it uh, to folks that are, that are trying to understand the effects of trauma, especially what it does to our brains physiologically. Mark, what? long story short, and I won't get too far into the details and try to pronounce parts of the brain that I can't even pronounce, man. Um, but what it does biologically is the trauma response what we what we might say is traumatized or if someone uh, needs diagnosis for PTSD what it well think of your brain think think of it you have two brains you you've got an emotional brain and a logical brain right your emotional brain is buried deep in it's usually what we call the limbic system with some other structures to it. That's the part of your brain that that is creating emotions and also imprinting memories. And then the wrinkly stuff that we see, the bigger part of your brain, that's 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 the cortex, cerebral cortex. And in particular in the front is your prefrontal cortex. That's where your uh, frontal lobes are for like executive functioning and regulating your behavior and your emotions. Well, see, the human brain is built to where when your emotional brain is going, when it's pumping out emotions, because it it also runs your uh, freeze, fight, or flight mechanism. When your emotional brain is going, it shuts down the logical part of your brain. It makes it really hard to think logically. And that's just adaptive. A couple thousand years ago, we're hanging out in our tribes. If we're highly emotional, it didn't make sense to sit there and think logically. No, you needed to act. So we needed those emotions. Well, when, when we've been through trauma, childhood trauma, PTSD, that emotional part of the brain, that gets really activated. In fact, we see that things like the amygdala, that's the thing that uh, 
it really spits out your emotions and regulates them, that actually can be enlarged because it's it's more sensitive. So it's it's think of it on steroids, I guess, the emotional brain, if you will. So when we're traumatized, man, that's why we're a lot more reactive to our environment because we we are used to getting emotionally hijacked because it's adaptive. We needed that when we were growing up, going through trauma. We needed that freeze fight or flight mechanism. We needed to be more sensitive. We needed to be more emotionally reactive to our environment. And it can actually make it harder sometimes, it's really hard to engage that cerebral cortex and the prefrontal cortex to think logically. So we get to be a little more impulsive, especially when we're highly emotional. We also see that the reward center of the brain, the pleasure center of their brain gets really affected. In fact, they're thinking that might be why we see higher incidence by the time they get to my office of things like problematic substance use. Because they're trying to calm down that emotional center of the brain and that pleasure reward center is also affected. So Mark, when, when, when they get to my office, their brain has been a lot of times wired in a way to be really reactive to the environment and to survive. Like I said, to call PTSD a disorder is almost doing it a disservice in a way because it's your brain is stuck on hyper arousal and hyper survival mode. The human brain is built for efficiency. It's built to keep you alive. It's not always accurate though. In fact, it can be highly inaccurate. And so we live in a much more insulated society where we don't, where it's 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 just doesn't serve the same purpose, and it, it gets to be maladaptive in a way that it starts to cause harm. So, so if um, I hear you, I, I don't mean to cut you off. So if I hear you correctly, mm-hmm. like your job almost when it gets to that point is to to do your best to help your patient rewire their brain. Is that, I mean is that kind of where you're at in this process? Well, and that, that, that's part of it. it it's the, and so research shows that going through therapy, going through psychotherapy can help us rewire those neural networks. So that's where therapy can actually be helpful. And if we can learn how to, and that's part of the therapy is the biological piece, is how do I learn to self-soothe? Because my brain tells my body, my body tells my brain, my brain, it, it creates this loop. And it's how do I soothe my body so that can kind of help how do i get back in touch with my body and my physiological reactions because ptsd and trauma has a very physiological component to it the endocrine uh, endocrine system the adrenaline the adrenal glands going and so things like that's why we do things like calm breathing or yoga and where i'm at the w collective with my colleagues we have a, a yoga specialist on staff who helps people in part who've been through trauma reconnect. So that's a part of it's just reconnecting with the physiological markers and reactions in the body so we can calm those down. So when the brain tells the body there's something wrong, we can start to actively calm the body and try to calm the brain. And so that's a part of it, man. It's just getting back because we get disassociated with it. It just becomes instantaneous and natural almost and so habitual. So it's getting re-in-touch with that. So when, but that's just part of it. So when you have someone who may come in with, you know, specific questions about their relationships, mm-hmm. they can't, mm-hmm. they, 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 
get really into someone, but they within six months it's fizzled out. They can they they start to find little things that tell them you're not worthy of this relationship. They start nitpicking their social relationships. They they become very reclusive. They they don't function well in social situations. They they know that they want a partner. They want love. They want to create a family. But oftentimes they just they're unsuccessful. Like what what does that it mean? I'm assuming those type of issues come can come directly from seeing or witnessing you know abusive parents or seeing the relationship between the mother and their father or or those kind of childhood trauma events yeah because man mark that, that's beautiful what you did because that transitions into the cognitive and the emotional things that can happen and that folks can bring with them into my office or, or if they're struggling with trauma ptsd or the the parenting like you, you talked about because we still have those drives right to connect that's after food and water, probably the most important human need is connection and relationships. It's just how we survive as a species. But when we've been through the, the stuff that we've been talking about, the cognitive signs are like negativistic thinking. You know, um, we we start to get these, these thoughts about our ad- adverse changes in thoughts and emotions. We begin to detach from others. In fact, we can start even losing interest in attaching to others. You know, trauma is a lot of that has to do with feeling out of control and trying to find control, but feeling unsafe. And especially if we've been in traumatic situations or our parents have treated us in a way that we don't feel safe in that relationship, we start to learn that relationships themselves aren't safe. And in fact, they can be hurtful. And so we can start to get you know, hypervigilant. We start looking for things like, oh, that means you're going to hurt me or that means that, that that's going to hurt me. We, we, we start getting defensive, we can have outbursts, we can, we can have a hard time being flexible with our thoughts and our feelings. And so it can be really hard to attach in secure, healthy ways or because we just, we don't feel safe. We don't feel secure and we're always on the defensive. You know, we're, we're looking for the next shoe to drop. And not only that, you know, to trauma that that can inhibit our social emotional maturity. And so again, we can struggle with connecting with folks on a more intimate or emotional level. And please know again, all these things I'm talking about, I'm, I'm not saying this happens in every single case. I mean, that's the thing about trauma too. It can be a hodgepodge of all these different things. And, but certainly you talking about the relationship piece, which goes into the social signs. Yeah, folks having difficulty attaching, folks having difficulty with emotional intimacy, folks having difficulty with boundaries, whether they just have a hard time setting boundaries or a hard time with being flexible in their boundaries. You know, with, but Mark, you're married, man, so am I. Um, you know, it, to have a healthy relationship, it's a give and take. It's some of the happiest, most rewarding times, but it can also be some of the most frustrating. And I don't, I'm angry, I'm pissed off, but I wake up tomorrow and I love you and I want more, right? So we can lose that flexibility or we can just have no boundaries whatsoever. And we, we end up, you know, finding ourselves in situations of manipulation and further trauma. 
And you and you mentioned it early with the uh, the freeze fight or flight. You know, yeah. I would. I I don't want to assume, but in 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 some of these situations, that first big fight in a relationship. Yeah. You know. Okay. Well, I'm I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I don't have I don't have the toolbox to to yeah. speak in in a way that's constructive. Oh, we got in a fight. I I I gotta go. And uh, I'm sure that plays a huge part in some of these social issues that people have gone through. And I kind of want to get, you know, and you and I talked about the last time we talked, we talked about the, the topic of, of, of suicide. And I can only imagine the suicide rate with trauma victims or the, the suicidal thoughts has to go up exponentially, possibly, with people who've, who've had some of the worst types of childhood trauma. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a thing called, and I think it's a great, a great time to introduce the, the ACEs, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. Interesting, Mark, I'm going to go somewhere with this. Um, but uh, because it, it, I think it's safe ways well in answering your question. So the ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, happened back in the 90s. They were studying obesity, not even looking at adverse childhood experiences, but they were studying obesity and they couldn't really find much that correlated with it, but they found that the folks in the study had adverse childhood experiences. And so they studied that and they came up with this 10 question assessment, which you can find online of these 10 different child adverse childhood experiences. And Mark, what, what this has become, and this was in the nineties, but it's been called the largest, most important public health study ever done was this adverse childhood experiences scale because they found the more adverse childhood experiences that people had in childhood, the greater risk they had for not just suicide, depression, problematic substance use, divorce, problems in relationships, a lot of these things that we've been talking about. So for instance, you know, with, with the suicide question, if, if a person had one ACE it, it, on that 10 question assessment, if they answered one, one yes to an adverse experience, their chance that they're at higher risk of attempting suicide about 2.4%. At two, it's 4.3%. At three adverse experiences, it's 9.5. When you've had four adverse experiences, you've got a 20% higher chance. Uh, suicide or uh, depression at four adverse experiences, you got a 50% chance, 50% higher risk for depression in adulthood. So yeah, the, cause typically too, it's, and it happens where there's one, but it's not uncommon that people have multiple. And I'm talking about if, if someone has been through a divorce uh, as a kiddo, that's yes to one ACE question. Did you have a parent with a mental health concern? Now you're at two. So talk about those environmental things, man, that you were, you were talking about earlier. So just by having those uncontrolled things in a child's environment, divorce or a parent that struggled with mental health, you're already at a two on the ACEs. You're already at a 31% chance of a greater chance of experiencing depression as an adult. And that's not even getting into a lot of the other things we think about, like, uh, 
you know, witnessing domestic violence or um, a parent with a, a problematic substance use problem or some of the other races that come in. So it, it does, Mark. It, it puts us at a higher risk. And it, it, again, we're talking about risk factors. We're not saying they're absolutes. But it does correlate to higher risk if we've been through childhood trauma. And I would venture to say, because it, it is, you, you said earlier, you can't see it. So many people are walking wounded or walking around and probably don't even realize that what they've been through constitutes as trauma, constitutes as an adverse childhood experience. Because, you know, who knows how they were parented through it. Man up. Put on your big girl pants. Someone's got it worse. Oh, it's not that bad. Your brother or sister were fine. It, so you, I just want, it, Mark, I see it all the time. People coming to my office who don't, who have, 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 have not had these things validated or not even, because we're not taught this stuff in school either. That they're walking wounded at a greater risk. And that that's, that's such, like, 2.4 like it just it just seems you know exponentially goes up i mean when yeah. you when you say those numbers it's it's scary and as we've talked through this show the two words that keep popping up in my mind are trust and responsibility and i'll kind of tell you why the first is you know when a child is 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 growing up um it's there is an inherent trust that my parents are infallible. My parents are telling me the right things. My parent, I'm learning. I'm trusting them enough to learn the world. And on the other side of that, it's kind of the responsibility of the parent to make sure the kid has the right preparation to be a highly functioning adult. So those are the two things that when you talk about what you see from your from your clients, from the people who, who sit down with you, is that both of those things, you know, when it gets to the really bad, you know, um, bad versions of, of childhood trauma we're talking about, it seems like trust has been broken and responsibility has been forgotten basically and then we're having this adult have to pick up the pieces have to try their best i mean you know we can say what we want to say about today's day and age oh we you know with so many so many things are accessible so many things are you know you know, little things like, oh, man, back in the day, I used to have to wait around MTV for hours to see the video I wanted to see. And now it's like, hey, just go to YouTube or Vivo or whatever and just watch it. You know, I had to wait for hours to get a document. Now you just go online, just download it. There's so many yeah. things that are so good about the world. But sometimes we forget about the human element of it. Sometimes we think that just because we believe one generation has it better or easier than the next doesn't mean that generation or that group of kids don't have a different set of emotions that as parents, I'll put it on us, as parents, we have to change with the times too. We have to. It's just 
it's different. We're, we're raising the next generation of leaders, the next generation of CEOs, the next generation of frontline workers, the next generation of people who are going to be put in high-stress environments. And, and honestly, even if they're not in high-stress environments, they're still going to have to learn to navigate the world, to navigate relationships, to navigate social structures, to navigate all those things. So those two words, I, they really resonate with me when you're, when you're speaking about the childhood trauma that you're dealing with is, is those trust and responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, no, Martin popped in my head, adapt or die, you know? Um, and what I mean by that from, from a parenting and a social standpoint, um, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking also that, you know, that I did then want to know how to do it's now that I know better that I do better. The way that as parents approaching trauma or approaching a kiddo's emotions, because I, I, I didn't even get into one of the biggest problems also I see when folks come in in adulthood and they're talking about their past or their history is not having their emotional needs met when they were kids. They, you know, parents having difficulty meeting their emotional needs, recognizing, seeing the importance of it, connecting. To be fair, that's not something as a society, as a culture, that we've really done a good job about stressing. Like, I, I don't know, ever, maybe. And we're starting, we're, we're, we're starting, we're still in the infancy stages a lot when it comes to psychology and counseling. And when we look at the grand scheme of things and mental health, and we're seeing the importance of the emotional component and emotional needs. To be fair, a lot of parents are taught, well, you put a, I put a roof over your head, and you got clothes and you got school, I did my job. Well, no, there's the emotional component. And so as we learn these things, Mark, I can't agree with you enough. As we learn these things, it's like, so what are we gonna do about it? What are we gonna do with it? As we learn about the ACEs or these other things, we need to adapt and we need to evolve. And that's, that's my message to parents is, no, if anything, I get it. I, I love, and again, I love my Angela's quote. I did then what I know how to do. It's now that I know better that I do better. As we know better, now's the time to do better and to start looking at our kiddos, not just as, and I'm not saying all parents do this, no, but not, not, not just as someone to meet basic needs and have some fun with and some good stuff, but to meet their emotional needs, to be able to sit with their uncomfortable emotions, to try and look at, Yes, they're angry and acting out, but what does this mean? What are they reacting to in their environment? Have they been through something traumatic? Or is there, if not traumatic, is there something that's pushing their ability to cope? Now, I, I don't know about you, Mark. When when my wife and I have argued, I don't know about you, but a lot of times we're not even arguing about the thing that we're arguing about, right? It's It's something deeper. We're not upset about the dishes not getting done or the working later. It's, it's something deeper. There's a deeper message. There's a deeper emotional need that's being communicated. And so as parents, it's, it's being willing to, okay, what's, what's the deeper need here? What, what, what does my kiddo need when they're acting this way? What are they not getting? What are they having a hard time coping with? What are they stressed about? And moving past this idea that well, emotions just are not, no, emotions are crucial. You know, once you have their basic needs met, now they're looking for you to meet their emotional needs. So first, I, I want to say you you said that perfectly. And second, I, I'm starting to think you may have my, my house tapped because that's literally 
the arguments that <laughs> that me and my wife had. Oh. <laughs> for for the record, Mark, you and I did not talk about that beforehand. I, I was tapping my own experiences, so that's funny. That I I think that is a a great place to end this. And I uh, again, like always. You know, David, I, I really appreciate you being a part of the show. I really appreciate you um, really stepping up and talking about this subject. And I, I think I, I think there's a lot of people out there that are possibly thinking like they 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 don't want to bash their parents. They don't want to say I had a tough childhood. It's kind of what you said. Listen, my parents put a roof over my head. They put food on the table. They they sent me to school. They you know they did this, did this, and did that. And I don't want to bash what they did, but I don't think at any point anybody is wrong for trying to get to the bottom of an issue to better themselves, to have that growth mentality. And I appreciate the words that that you said on this week's show and and. Like always, I think I I really love the conversations we have. And um, since you've been since you the last time you were on, I've kind of since we have since I talk about these subjects like this, I want to add a little levity to it. So at the end of each show, I've kind of been doing a, a random question that that you and I have not discussed, but I kind of wanted to just ask a random question to kind of end the show on a high note. So you know, if you had the choice between being able to speak any language you wanted to speak. Or being able to communicate with animals, which one would you choose? Oh man, that's easy. Uh, speak language, Spanish. Okay, that, that was quick. You don't want to speak. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love. I, man, I love people. I'm fascinated with people. Don't get me wrong. I'd, I'd love to speak with animals, but uh, I don't know. I, I would just be so much more fascinated. I love other cultures and talk about no better way to really experience and understand another culture than to understand it. Like the language, just the way they describe it in their language, you know, to, right. to crawl into their filter. Yeah. I'm overthinking the question. Uh, no, it's no, this is, this is why I do it. And I would expect nothing from nothing, nothing less from a therapist. So <laughs> Dr. David Pfaff, I appreciate you being a part of the show. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, talking about such a, I, such just a, a a difficult topic to some people, a triggering topic, a topic that needs to be really put out in the open. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having having you on the show and being a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Could, could I just one one other quick thing? Of course, of course. Because you were making a great point about going back in our past and why we do it, and it's not about bashing our parents. And I, I think that's so important. No, it, it, you nailed it, man. When you're talking about, it's about taking responsibility. Um, it's about seeing, wait a minute, maybe I'm not messed up, screwed up, crazy, or effed up. Maybe I've been through some messed up stuff. Maybe I've learned some messed up things about myself and the world. Being aware that maybe I'm not to blame and I'm the problem. In fact, blame is the, the cancer, the antithesis of getting better. I need to trademark that. Blame will keep us stuck. It's, it's, okay, learning and empowering. And so I can take responsibility for what's going on with me. And so I can do something different. I can break the pattern. I don't, and I can take back control and I can find that safety. So yeah, it's, it's not about bashing our parents or blaming them. 
it's about helping us getting better and taking responsibility. Because if all we do is just sit around and blame our parents, well, we're not going to get any better anyway. So just wanted to add that piece too, because you're, you're, you're doing a great job of setting that one up. I just wanted to, as, yeah, it's as, been my pleasure, Mark. I enjoy it. As always, you take care of yourself and we'll talk to you next time. All right, Mark, take care. Relatively Normal is written, produced, and edited by me, Mark Paisant. Special thanks to Dr. David Pfaff for coming on this week and talking about childhood trauma. And I hope more people can have this conversation. And as always, if you or someone you know is in crisis, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255.